So my name is Rolf Schloop. Um, I'm the managing director of Terracam PTY Limited, a South African-based company, drone, uh, professional drone service provider. This, this, is, this is Diversified, diversified, diversified game, 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 game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I know I look like I'm in the dark for those who are watching, but most of you are listening, and thank you, Apple, for having them stay tuned in. I have Rolf, and he's going to tell us how TerraCam in Africa is tearing up things. Him and I, he doesn't know it yet, but we are drone brothers, for those of you who can see. And, you know, I have this little drone. He does surveying, so he has fancier drones that have all type of software and different things. He can really spy on you, but it's peaceful drones. It's not the kind that, you know, shoot down at you like uh, America has in certain countries. So, Ralph, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great, uh, Kellen. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, and I'm glad that you are feeling better because we wanted to do this, you know, a, a, a little while ago. And I just want to know, are, are you okay? Was it COVID? Are you 100%? Yeah, no, it was fine. I had a bit of a stomach ulcer, which uh, which plagued me for a while. But otherwise, besides that, I've recovered well and um, healthy and fit and uh, carrying on with the drone revolution in Africa. Awesome. Love to hear that. Health is wealth. And if you guys hear that accent, yes, he is African. He's from South Africa. Sabona! South Africa. I, I, I love y'all. <laughs> I, I love it. So tell us. What TerraCam is all about and, you know, just educate those who say drones in Africa? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I basically started TerraCam in 2012 um, and my background is aerospace engineering and I I helped develop um, survey drones uh, in Switzerland uh, in 2009. And I took those drones back with me in 2012 to South Africa to kind of, um, you know, start with educating the industries um, about uh, commercial drone utilization, because at that time, um, the word drone was kind of associated with military activities. So commercial drones back then uh, were still kind of unknown to the industry, specifically mining, agriculture, construction, all of those industries. So uh, we did a lot of demos, uh, kind of educated those industries on how to use the technology to benefit their workflows. Um, and then we basically got a lot of interest from surveyors, um, agricultural companies, uh, construction companies, um, and basically then kind of pivoted the strategy a little bit because the, the industry got a bit saturated, the services industry got a bit saturated. So what we did is we started to focus more on assisting uh, large enterprise clients on integrating their own drone solutions into their workflows. So our clients, uh, our clientele is basically scattered across Africa. Um, our biggest sector that we uh, focus on is, is the mining industry. Um, and we integrate drone solutions for various disciplines within the mining realm. So it started off with surveying, um, uh, specifically photogrammetry, which is basically stitching uh, 2D photos together and then generating um, geospatial data from those images. 
Um, and it kind of grew from that into inspection drones. Um, and uh, I'm currently in Ghana at the moment doing an integration for a mine using um, a large scale surveillance drones. So perimeter surveillance drones, because they have quite a bit of illegal mining problems um, around the gold mines here in Ghana. So th there's been a lot a, a big interest in deploying security drones to kind of patrol the perimeters and identify where the weak points are in their in their in their fences or just kind of track targets to to see where you know where they're coming from so we we help these mines kind of integrate drone solutions so they can operate them in house that's where Terra that's what Terracam's focus is right now now it sounds like you got in in the beginning of you know drones um, coming the come up of you know not being known as as military. Let me know how difficult was it to start the business because even in America now you know you have to have this license in this state and you go to certain countries all across the globe. I mean, some places will take your drone from you even on the continent. So how difficult was it to kind of start? Yeah, so uh, in the beginning, we kind of had a little bit carte blanche because the uh, the technology was kind of unbeknown to the people. So we had a, a fairly easy start into kind of uh, um, deploying drones before the regulators came on board or, or kind of understood what this whole technology was all about. Um, so the initial demos that we did um, were fairly straightforward, but once the regulators got involved, then things became a little bit more challenging. Um, because generally the technology uh, is a few steps ahead of the, the, regu of the regulations. So uh, in 2015, the, 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 the regulations became quite strict in South Africa specifically. Um, and then things became a little bit more challenging to work um, because they kind of, in South Africa, for, for that matter, they, they, they saw the drones as, as having to be regulated in the same way like manned aircraft. Um, and that would have meant that uh, pilots would need to be certified. Uh, the drones would have to, to be registered. Uh, the, the, the frequency uh, would have to be registered with the, the, in, the, the kind of communications council of the countries. And that's when things started to become a bit more challenging. Um, and those regulations were then kind of pushed through the rest of Africa. So a lot of the African countries uh, still don't really have drone regulations in place, uh, but they're kind of getting on board um, you know, more and more kind of following the same kind of, what can I say, structure that the South African Civil Aviation Authority has adopted. So a lot of the um, countries kind of are member countries of the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, um, and they've drafted some kind of framework in order for, you know, for drones to be kind of managed, the commercial drones to be managed um, in, in a certain way, and they kind of follow those principles. Um, so it, it, it has become definitely more challenging as the years have progressed. Also, shipment of lithium polymer batteries, for example, if you do a sale of a drone, that has also, uh, you know, become a bit more challenging. Um, so we always need to be kind of on top of our game when it comes to, uh, to the rules. Do you think those regulations make it more difficult or do they keep some of the bad actors out? Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. In a way, it does hamper the progress of, of, of uh, the technology a little bit. Um, so it is a bit of additional red tape that has been put in place, and it kind of handicaps the rollout of, of, of technology that could potentially be a, a game-changer for, for certain industries. 
so it does limit the, the growth and the implementation of the technology. Um, but obviously at the same time, it is meant to kind of regulate uh, the, the, what can I say, the utilization so it, you don't have sinister activities happening. Um, but there's also obviously over-regulation, which um, we, what we saw in South Africa. So they kind of adopted a very stringent regulation from the start. And I think as the technology becomes more, um, what can I say, um, not, more familiar to the regulators, they will probably start easing things a little bit um, in order to make it more accessible and utilized by more and more industries rather than being red tape. The surveying for the mines, I mean, you guys are in rural areas, you know, off the beaten path. How can the government, um, you know, govern you? And how would they even find out, like, if you're flying out there? Yeah, so it's kind of based on a trust system. that It's difficult for them to police um, the activities, really, to be honest. Um, I know DJI has been implementing a technology where, you know, they... You, you can't basically uh, take off your drone from certain areas, so like no-fly zones. But in Africa, that's not really applicable as yet. It's more That has more been rolled out in developed countries. So it, uh, they wouldn't really know, um, you know that, that, that you're doing drone operations. So what we do for, for large mining clients here in Ghana is we, we interact quite closely with the regulators just to make sure that um, the legislation is adhered to and uh, the mines can operate safely and you know if there's any any uh, notice to emin that need to go out that's issued um and the, the regulators are aware of 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 what the mines are utilizing their drones for is there any you know danger that you know someone flying a drone in the mining field because i mean most people you know you hope have their helmets on at all times and the last thing uh that you worry about in these type of areas usually are something falling on your head but have there been accidents um there haven't really been any accidents um besides maybe a drone crash but definitely not not not, not serious accidents so there have been some drones that have uh, in, in west africa specifically the the drones get attacked by by birds of prey and we've seen that happening um and, and maybe a loss of a drone but um, in the mining realm specifically or everybody's wearing personal protective equipment um like you said helmets and gloves and whatnot so we haven't seen any tragic act or, or any serious accidents it's literally just maybe been a loss of a drone but but nothing serious um the one thing that we're always cautious about are the, the, the low-flying helicopters. Um, so we have um, airband radios where we can communicate with air traffic. Um, and we, you know, in, in, the, in the standard operating procedures that we write, we make sure that, the, that those Boolean flights that take the gold out of the mines are aware of the drone operations. I have had my drone attacked by those same birds. I think they're the same crew in Cameroon. <laughs> And it's crazy because, again, when I show you guys my my little, you know, DGI, uh, what, whatever it is, I mean, they were looking at that thing and attacking it. I had to bring it home to say, hey, you guys, I don't know if my insurance will cover that. But um, yeah, yeah, never in America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, in Africa, it's kind of pretty wild. You know what I mean? So you, 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 you're always surrounded by like, you know, serious wildlife. So we've had some some pretty big birds uh, attack specifically the fixed wing drones, the the, the lighter foam drones, um, and literally grab them and take them out, um, and and they crashed off after that. 
because they probably take some of the wings off or the wings become detached. With the multi-rotors, it's not that common um, because, you know, they're kind of deterred by the, by the rotating propellers. Um, but the fixed wing drones, we have seen, uh, you know, we've, we've lost a few of those. You know what? But it's interesting because I live here in South Florida and sometimes people say, wow, they think I'm like in a backdrop and they see like the birds flying and there are some huge cranes and they'll come right here. I mean, I see a lizard right now sitting on a chair, but I can be riding my bike or running. And sometimes the cranes, I mean, they're almost as big as my 10 year old. They won't move. So it's so funny when animals get used to people, how they're like, oh, yeah, we got to share this space. But the (laughs) the the African birds, uh-uh, get whatever this uh, is. Wild. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, they're wild. They they're not tamed. They they're not used to people. So anything that intrudes in their airspace uh, gets at least observed and 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 you know closely tracked and attacked in certain instances. And so with your company and you, you know, you have um, a slew of people who fly these drones. What does training look like? Because I, I'll be honest, I love just toys, right? Especially the ones I can play with my kids that make sense for a grown man. But I look at this as, oh, this is my retirement plan. I can sit in like a rocking chair and do this for, forever and, and have fun and feel useful. And uh, I'm uh, giving something to society. So what's the training and how long does it take for your employees? Okay, so uh, it depends on the type of system that we train on. So, I mean, it can go anything from like a Mavic that you, that you showed us there um, would typically be a five-day training program um, up to some of the big surveillance drones, which can take up to three weeks of training um, just because of the complexity of the system and, and the complexity of the electronics and un- the understanding of how to maintain the system and how to keep it airworthy and, and make sure that you, um, you know, understand it properly. So it, it does range depending on the type of system um, that we train on. So it can be anything from, from a week to three weeks. And what makes a good drone pilot? So a good drone pilot will generally have um, some kind of technical aptitude, um, perhaps an engineering background or, or some kind of a, a technical diploma. Uh, so that always helps with troubleshooting any, any technical issues with the drone should that, ar- should that arise. Um, and obviously also um, have good uh, re- reflexes, so understand technology pretty well. So those are kind of the fundamentals of, of what, what makes a good drone pilot is, is just, um, you know, a solid understanding of the technology uh, and, uh, and interest in, 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 the, in the technology as well. This is for the American audience who says, well, maybe I could do that because I fly my drone, I race my drone, but do you have to be good at math to pass whatever courses that you have for your employees? Um, there is certain requirements for, for you know, having a, like an aptitude towards mathematics, but it's not really a fundamentally um, needed um, I mean, there are the, the technology is also becoming more and more simple to operate. So that also helps, obviously, in, in taking some strain off the remote pilots um, is kind of the, the fact that, uh, you know, the systems are becoming more intelligent, they're becoming more redundant um, and more, more complex and more self-aware, you know, and, and that takes a lot of strain off operators. So I think um, it's not really mandatory to have, um, you know, high skills in mathematics. And that is why I have, I believe that's the, the Maverick 
two or whatever. It's the first one that could come back to you with you just pushing the button. I said, oh, I can't lose that one. So, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. a good, good starter drone. But, you know, your company in doing drones and we see other companies in Africa, especially Rwanda with zip line and they're, you know, delivering yes. uh, medical supplies. Do you see being able to offer, you know, those things, even when Jumia opens up and says, Hey, you guys want to deliver for us? Like, will you expand or will you stick with surveying? Um, well, that kind of depends on, on the regulators as well. Um, at the moment, you kind of limit it to the, to the range that you can fly. So it kind of limits you to how far you can fly. And we definitely like to explore the space of, of, of uh, deliveries um, in, in the future once the regulators kind of, um, you know, open the scope a little bit wider. So only recently, I mean, not that long ago, beyond visual line of sight was kind of, you know, not really something that you could do legally. So beyond visual line of sight is anything, you know, where you basically don't have line of sight to the drone anymore. And in South Africa, that was limited to one kilometer. Um, and after that, you know, you start needing additional um, requirements, uh, maybe some, some technical requirements. So the drone needs to have some kind of capability in order to, you know, have redundancy in terms of autopilot failure or um, GPS failure or whatnot. So those things are starting to become more and more um what kind of say interesting to us as well. So we will be looking at doing drone deliveries uh, in the future for sure. Okay. And, and is the big pushback just that, you know, and I have to watch my words folks, cause he's on the continent and I love to go through the continent. So we have to be, be kind with our, our words, but it is, it is, ignorance because most of the politicians are 65 and up and they've never held a drone you know not to speak of flying one but is it just yeah. that they still seem like a scary thing of why like the pushback or is it a monetary thing where if you're would pay this amount of money sure we'll let you do whatever the heck you want to do well um it's it's yeah i mean i can't i can't say that that's not the case um, it's definitely Africa is a, it's still kind of fairly, what can I say, corrupted in a way, um, if you know, that is the reality, unfortunately. So it, it, it's basically both, if I can call it like that. So it's, it's, it's a regulatory thing, but I mean, you could potentially get away with, with, with flying beyond visual line of sight, uh, if you know the right people. Um, and I know the military, um, you know, obviously already does those kind of operations, so now it's just a matter of promulgating that kind of technology down to commercial level where that becomes feasible for commercial operators. And beyond visual line of sight has been adopted. Like you said, Zipline is utilizing it and it's becoming more and more um, adopted. So I, I see that be uh, becoming a bigger field in the future. And how do you go about hiring people? I, I know people, you know, want to get out of you know whether it's the states or mexico wherever and they say i want to try something new and i always hear this oh there's no jobs in africa and i say no maybe you don't have the skills but i know people who are hiring in africa and even you know the folks who are in the indeed of africa um who are hiring so if somebody said you know what i'm a pilot i want to come out there and fly like how would they go about you know applying with your company well, I mean, the first part would be kind of to send us their, their, their CV so we can understand what their background is and what their experience is. 
Um, we obviously always keep an eye out for, for operators that have um, you know decent amount of, of flight hours underneath their belt. Um, that, that helps a lot, but it's not necessarily a limiting factor. So, I mean, they, they're welcome to send us their, you know, their, 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 their CV so we can understand um, their experience and their interest. And if they're interested in operating and, or working in Africa, then, you know, we'd be interested in communicating or, co or corresponding with them. And let me give them some information that they cannot get, I bet, anywhere on the Internet, not even Glassdoor. What is a range from a beginning pilot to, you know, a more senior pilot? Because a lot of times when Westerners come to different countries, they're sometimes shocked of how much or depending on their skill set, how little. So, you know, what is a, a range? Because people, you know, they have no clue when they're relocating. So you basically mean in terms of the amount of flight hours, if you, if you can call it like that. So, well, even salary, you know, because people say, how much can I get paid to fly? I don't, I don't, you know, need a lot in life and I'd love to do it, but Kellen, am I going to get, you know, $15 an hour or am I going to be making, you know, uh, 15,000, um, shillings or, <laughs> you know, our Rand, they just have no clue. And we're seeing more and more people come to Africa and I don't want them to be disappointed. So even if it's yeah. in Rand, like an average salary of a pilot, and it can be a range because I don't want people to put you in a box and say, hey, I heard if I came out here, you'd give me, you know, 10 billion Zimbabwe dollars, which means you can get a yeah. coat, people. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Absolutely. So it kind of depends a little bit on the experience level. Um, so you you know you've got you've got novice pilots and then you've got very experienced pilots with a lot of flight hours um, and night ratings and beyond visual line of sight ratings they would obviously earn a little bit more. So uh, the range could be anything in terms of rands if I can call it I get um, fifteen thousand to 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 thirty five or forty thousand rands per month. Um, those are kind of that's the kind of range uh, from a novice to a senior pilot. Um, so that's what, what they could, you know, could be expecting. Okay. And you guys will be able to live off of that. Um, you know, once you do the, the numbers, um, because it, it's just, you know, I don't know if you've been to the States, but when you get to Africa, I mean, you can definitely, I tell everyone and, and 45 is about 3000 us at this time with $3,000 a month, you can afford your driver, your house help and whatever other, um, things that you need. Yeah. So that's absolutely. That's a, yeah, that's that's great. So, you know, going from South Africa to Ghana, it, are you just the whole continent? Are, are you on board to, you know, travel? And is that your thing? Or are there just certain countries that are maybe more drone friendly that you focus on? OK, so uh, when it comes to mining, we kind of follow where, where the commodities are. So um, in Ghana specifically, there's a gold belt running all the way from Takaradi to Kumasi. So it's a, gold, a, a very a gold rich area where you have a lot of gold mines uh, accumulated in one place. So that's kind of why Ghana was a very attractive place for us to do business. And we've done fairly well in, this, in Ghana. Um, there's a copper belt in, in Zambia. Um, and, and also in the DRC, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's a lot of minerals there. So we kind of go to, to the countries where, you know, there's the commodities, are, they're, they're, they're rich in commodities. Um, as Africa specifically is, is also a very a rich commodity country. 
Um, and also in terms of agriculture, South Africa has a lot of agricultural sectors um, where agricultural drones have become more and more adopted. So we, we kind of pick our countries where, where you know, we, we see a, a large accumulation of a certain commodity. There are certain countries that we don't travel to which are hostile. So we have avoided going to countries like South Sudan, um, Somalia and things like that where it's, it's a fairly hostile environment. We have tried to deploy drones in Egypt, but that's um, an absolute no-go at the moment. They've, uh, the military has kind of controlled that completely. So we haven't been able to penetrate the Egyptian markets um, as, as of yet. Um, but in terms of other countries in Africa, Ivory Coast, Senegal, Ghana, um, Togo, um, the DRC, the whole of the SADC countries, so the Southern African countries, um, have become very uh, familiar with, with uh, commercial drone utilization. Yeah, in Egypt, you know, I've, I've read books and had guests on who've done, um, they've had their Jeeps all through Africa, and they say <laughs> that's a place they don't, they don't play. It's one of the, you know, few places yeah. you've got to, yeah, you have to be on point. Absolutely. <laughs> now, with you know, drones and everything that you're doing. I I was in Ethiopia and our driver said we were flying our drones, two of us. There was three of us, but two of us were flying our drones. And they said, do you know how much money I could make if I had a drone? The weddings, you can get like $2,000 per wedding. And I said, well, let me ask you, you want a business partner? Because I could give you this drone and send you seven more and I'll be back. But would you want to share the money? The answer was, of course, no. Uh, he just wanted, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he yeah. just wanted the money. But um, yeah, are you able, you know, with all your licenses and with all the laws in the countries that you're operating with, and we can focus on South Africa or Ghana, whichever one you like, but are you able to say, hey, we also can film weddings as well? And, you know, is that a profitable business? Yeah, so what we kind of focusing on primarily at Terracam are, are the enterprise clients. Uh, we, we the, the, what can I say, the consumer utilization of drones, uh, like wedding photography or aerial photography or real estate. That's a, a fairly saturated market at the moment um, because the technology has become accessible to a lot of people and it's also become much cheaper. So what we saw happening uh, around about 2016 to up to 2019 is that um, those kind of sectors became fairly saturated quite quickly. So people bought Mavics, they bought Phantoms, they bought... Um, the consumer type drone and, you know, everyone then, everyone then started their own drone business um, doing wedding photography or you know, like real estate or, or, or smaller type work um, while the enterprise level work that kind of remains to the professional operators. Um, and that's kind of where we focused our attention on, on more. So as Terracam, that's, that's where we, we channel our, most of our energies in the enterprise sector. Okay. And with all the, you know, success that you've had and the best is yet to come and that you're going to have, what is a community give back that you are doing or that you plan to do in the future? Okay. So we, we basically try our best to firstly um, source local pilots from the country. So we, we kind of make sure that we, we support the local industry as much as we can. Uh, we set up local um, enterprises. So we kind of partner with local industries in order to kind of promote job creation uh, within that country. Um, and we create sub-distributor agreements with, with um, entities in that country. 
So we kind of try and, and promote um, a local as much as possible within that country. So it benefits, um, you know, the, the, the workforce in those countries. Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's, I haven't met an entrepreneur yet who says, oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm making, you know, hand over fist and I'm, you know, blowing it on a Bugatti. So there's no money to give to anybody else. So that's, that's beautiful. You guys listening are those of you who have discovered the YouTube and watching. You guys have been blessed by the game. Some things you'll have to wait for Ruff's book to come out and then he can <laughs> give you and tell you more. But I think I've been nosy enough and we'll take this conversation off air. I thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Kellen. Much appreciated. And um, yeah, look, look forward to chatting to you again sooner. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifiedgame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.